You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. This show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. Welcome to this episode of the British GT Fan Show Guest Special, where we interview Balfe Motorsport GT4 driver Mia Fluitt. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith, alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith, and Andrew Brightman and Gaz Jacobs of the British GT Fans. episode of the show I am delighted to welcome Mia Fluitt. Um, hot off the heels of her victory in the first round of the new season. Welcome to the show Mia. Thank you very much. Um, it's really great to have you. Um, so how have you spent your day today after the excitement of the weekend first off? Well I've actually been answering so many um, messages of congratulations and emails and uh, talking, chatting to my sponsors, uh, who are very pleased, obviously, and um, and I've also, you know, managed to squeeze in a, a session with my my personal trainer. Um, so so yeah, it's been it's been a really good day, actually. It's been a really good day, and just hearing how you know all the positive comments, and because obviously it was quite late last night, so uh, and a lot of you know, well, some of my sponsors are are in America, so. They've mm. kind of almost uh, sort of woken up to the news and everything. So, um, so yeah, it's been a really good day. Good. So we'll jump straight into it. Um, so you started your career building Volvos for a living and then moved over into the engineering side of the business. Correct. Yeah, I started uh, when I was 19. Um, a Volvo factory basically opened in, in my town and uh, I knocked on the door and and basically said, "Have you got any? Have you got any jobs?" And uh, and they said, um, "Yeah, we got one as a forklift driver." And uh, so that my first ever job in the car industry was actually as a forklift driver, uh, believe it or not. And I was actually quite a fast forklift driver. Um, and <laughs> and then um, yeah, I moved into logistics, and then they needed car builders. So I thought, why not? I go build cars. And having built cars um, for a couple of years, I started training to become a, a manufacturing engineer, and uh, eventually, for, you know, became a manufacturing engineer for Volvo, working um, in yeah in my little hometown. And then eventually, that factory unfortunately closed down. Um, so I went back to school um, and actually did a degree in in finance. Um, and then my old boss rang me one day and said, we're opening the factory up. We've just, uh, started this joint venture with Tom Walkinshaw racing from the UK. And, uh, would you like to, you know, come back? And, uh, so I went back and started working again as a car builder. It's only six of us building show cars and starting up the process, basically of designing a new factory and um having worked really closely with the engineers from Tom Walkinshaw Racing uh i think they figured out that they were quite good at designing the car but didn't have a lot of manufacturing engineering experience and the experience i had from building cars so they actually offered me a, a job there and then and said uh, if we train you will you come and run our uh manufacturing engineers mm-hmm. uh for TWR and that's what i went on on doing and hence uh, I ended up in the UK. So, was that working on like the eight fifty estate and the and the, the the saloon that came after it for for touring cars and things like that, or was it other projects? Well, the f- the first time I, uh, when I started went started working for Volvo was seven. I think it was the seven forties and things like that, and um, mm. 
And then when we started a new factory to kind of develop the process um, to build a new car, which was the C70, basically the first sort of coupe and convertible that Volvo really made, um, we basically built and took apart 850s to develop the process where we were going to build these because we didn't have a line system as such. It was a, a much smaller, you know, um, business with, you know, low volume. So we basically had small teams building the cars rather than, so nine of us basically built the whole car, uh, rather than, you know, line based sort of system. So it was quite a different project. So, and obviously in order to develop the, the process to do that, we had to, um, basically cause the, the, the base car was based on the 850. So, you know, we, we, we just had, 850s took them apart built them up again took them apart built them up again and tried to come up with a with a good way of uh doing it and bringing materials to to the cars and stuff like that so uh it was a really interesting time actually i, I loved it so you are then directly responsible for one of my motoring guilty pleasures because i absolutely love the c70 if i if i had had the right amount of money when one came up. I'd have had it years ago. Aww. This is a lovely car. And, and then so you also worked on something equally different and brilliantly bonkers, uh, which was the Renault Clio V6. Yeah, so that was kind of the next project. Once we sort of finished with the C70, um, I then ended up obviously working for, for Tom um uh, our manufacturing engineering projects on lots of different uh, cars basically all over the world and um, and some of them smaller engineering projects some of them um, you know bigger projects but the Clio V6 was the next project that we actually also where we actually also produced the car not just the design concept or the manufacturing concept we actually designed the whole thing and then actually built the car as well in our factory in Sweden and um so that was a really exciting project. Um, I never forget the day when my, my boss at TWR said to me that, you know, could you, could you be in Paris at nine o'clock this evening? And I think it was, I can't remember now, midday or something. And I'm thinking probably. And uh, anyway, I ended up flying to Paris, walking into this empty workshop and um, nothing in there, no cars, nothing. It turned out to be basically a Renault Sport. And, uh, I was waiting there. It's now, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night and I could hear this noise of this car and they drove in this car. It'd been to a photo shoot, uh, which was basically the race car version of the Renault Clio V6. And, um, and we had literally two hours, me and my boss <laughs> to go over this car and come up with a, 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 a proposal to manufacture and well, first design and manufacture a road car version of that race car. And, um, but it was, yeah, it was a very exciting time. And we spent, um, you know, a couple of days there, uh, working with Renault Sports. And then we did get the project and the car, the first, um, or series one of it was made in Sweden. And then I actually designed the process to put it back into the app. Uh, just outside Paris, um, so they could build a second series, basically back in their own factory. But it was a great project uh, to work on, and I met so many people. And I, some of those people are still around me, and they still work at McLaren. Some of them, and uh, yeah, great, uh, great time. Actually, I really enjoyed it. Remarkable! You are actually responsible for two of the cars that I would sell my arm. Let's <laughs> say that the Clio V6 is quite a um, yeah a handful to drive. Actually, it's uh, but it's it's an iconic car now, isn't it? Yeah, very it's, much. It's properly iconic. I actually remember I have this story about it because I was at Goodwood at an event at Goodwood, and um, there was this gentleman there who had one, and he was slightly older gentleman, and. And he was telling me about his car, had no idea who I was and that I'd actually probably built this car. And uh, and, uh, and eventually when he realized uh, he was talking about, he was so proud of his car and everything, he was talking, telling me all about it. And then I said, like, actually, I can probably tell you if I built it because I actually signed everyone on the, uh, on the inside of the bonnet. 
and uh, and he was like absolutely made up. And I, we ended up both Mike and I ended up sending him all these details and photos from the factory when his car was built and. And, uh, yeah, lovely story. The guy loved the car and, you know, that's what, why we do these things is, you know, yeah, just enjoy it. Yeah. Nice to work for a big, for a big manufacturer and still get to, still get to do some passion projects. Yeah, exactly. After your time at Tom Walkinshaw Racing, doesn't look like you moved back into the engineering role at the side of it. Do you still get to dabble in the engineering side or have you moved your focus fully onto racing? Where well, yeah, my focus fully onto racing, I, um, I've uh, been involved with McLaren through my my husband uh, working there, and that's just become a lifestyle almost because it's kind of hard to do what we do unless you make it a lifestyle because it does take over your take over your life. Um, but no, I we moved from the UK um, in two thousand and three. Uh, although we kept a home here, but we, we moved to Germany, uh, as my husband, uh, went to work for Ford and we actually then lived in Istanbul for five years. Um, and I did some other things then I actually studied interior design, which is another passion of mine and, um, at, uh, Chelsea Harbor. So from a distance and I did that and I really enjoyed that. So I haven't really so even though I've always dabbled in cars, I had a period mm-hmm. of time when I never worked with cars. Um, it's only the last sort of six or seven years, even though I haven't actually worked with cars, but it's all we do. Literally all we have mm-hmm. to do is talk about cars, around cars, we go racing or we go to car events. And um, yeah, so very much we're a part of our lives. Mm. As an aside, I caught a bit of your interview on Sky um, okay. recently. and. It makes total sense what you're saying about interior design because it looks stunning. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's one of my first thoughts. It was like, like oh. yes, <laughs> I like this. <laughs> oh no, we we live in in our home in the Cotswolds. It's a it's a 400 year old house um, that we've we lovingly spent two years renovating, um, and we've been there now. I think eight eight years now, and uh, yeah, that's home for us. So it's it's. Uh, but I ended up doing, you know, I did um, some um, clubs like private members clubs in in China. I ended up, to, I did a bar and a club in Norway, and I did um, a few bits and bobs and you know more sort of friends' houses. Because uh, so I did, I did do interior design, but I got to say I wasn't sort of putting everything into you know having a full time job because all I wanted to do was to go motor racing. <laughs> I see absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, exactly. Yeah. So moving on to the racing then, um, you had two years in pure McLaren GT series, um, two titles. Yes. And you went to some very intimidating circuits. Yep. (laughs) None of them as intimidating as Alton Park, I can promise you. (laughs) We'll get to that in a little bit. Was the plan always to move on up through the ranks? Um, and if so, why did you stay in Pure after claiming the title on your first attempt? We we did a we did like a, a trial race basically in 2017 to see if this uh, series could you know if we could make it work and you know people were interested in in doing this single make series and I can so remember it because it was I don't, up until then the only thing I'd ever raced was literally a 1963 Lotus Elan. And I got into this GT4 car, which I actually had been driving for quite a while whilst it was on the development of, you know, different events. And, and, but I, I, the year before I got into the GT4, I literally drove a P1 GTR for a whole year at every McLaren event. And I took people out for hot laps and, you know, a thousand horsepower. And I got so used to this super fast, uh, you know, monster of a car that was just like awesome. And, um, and I got into the GT4 and I can remember the first time I drove one, I got into it and I, I did one lap and I came back in and said something wrong with it. Nothing happens when you press the throttle. (laughs) (laughs) In a GT4 car? You should try driving my Mini. I know. And and it was just like, and they said, well, you know, we think your, you know, mind is slightly, you know, wrongly wired because it's wired to a thousand brake horsepower (laughs) P1 GTR. And, uh, and this is, this is what 
you know, what it is. And I'm thinking, wow, and, and we should race these. And, and it was just like such a surreal experience. But then I started driving and I'm thinking, actually, I love this car. It's, it was so well balanced, easy to drive. It's actually quite hard to drive really fast, but it's, um, you know, cause it's like somewhere between a road car and a race car. So it's familiar, you know, not scary or, you know, intimidating or anything like that. So I, uh, so once I actually got into it, I thought, yeah, this is really cool. So then when we did this race, uh, a poor Ricard and I finished fourth and I was so annoyed with myself, uh, cause you know, I knew I could have done better and I should have done this better and I should have, cause I always compete with myself, you know, first and foremost. And, um, and then, but that really was what made me sort of think I got to, you know, race, you know, properly. And luckily this sounds like a bit crazy now, but actually my husband bought me a GT4 car for Christmas and I went racing the following season. So, um, so, so the plan wasn't anything other than just going racing, enjoying this amazing car, uh, that I just, you know, kind of got my head around and, and everything. And when we started racing, the whole thing about the pure series was always, or pure McLaren GT series was that, you know, we're kind of friends. We all know each other. So it's not like in, in, in British GT where, you know, you have all the teams and then obviously at the end of the day, the teams go and do their own things with their teams and stuff like that. And the pure McLaren GT series, it's like, we all go to dinner together and then we go racing the next day. And then we do the same thing all over again the following day. So it had this kind of family feel where we sort of mm-hmm. really felt like a family. And I loved all the people that were in it. And it was like almost more about the people than it was about what we were doing. You know, it was competitive when we were on track, but it was, um, it was having that, you know, sharing that thing with people I've been seeing for the past five, six years coming to lots of events. And all of a sudden we're, you know, we're racing and we're doing other things. And, you know, we had it's like everybody was watching know everybody who's actually in the race. So it's a very different dynamic, I should say. So it became this sort of family feel. So I love that. So that is the reason why I went back last year to do it because I would be there anyway yeah. at those events. I might as well race, um, and, you know, have all the fun of the, all the fun of the racing, um, and, and doing it kind of with my friends. So yeah, great series. So is the 21 the, the, the chassis that, that Mike bought you then? Is yeah. that your car yeah, that bounced is. running or is yeah. it one of their bounce cars? No, that is, that, is the, that is the car that I've been racing for the past two years. Fair enough. So you've done the two years in, in Pure McLaren and I've looked at the two years calendars and I am so jealous at some of the circuits that you've been to. Um but then you came to play in, in the British Pond last year for three rounds. Um, yeah. Fourth at Spa in GT4. Yeah. But really the one that, the one that stood out to me, uh, really, really impressed, was when you took on the pro role with Stuart as the am in the car, Stuart Proctor as the am in the car. Yeah. And you were going toe-to-toe against, uh, against the guys uh, the guys that were, that were sort of running at the front of, of, of GT4. Yeah. How did you feel when you were doing that sort of dipping the toe into the water and doing those three rounds in 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 2019 with with the GT British GTs? I loved it. I mean, I got to say, dude, the first race we did was Silverstone, which was like a bit of a sort of baptism of fire. You know, first ever race, a three hour race, uh, and we were absolutely knackered. <laughs> I can remember getting out of the car thinking, "Oh my goodness," you know, could barely stand up. And um, but it, it was just the the whole thing about having all the GT3 cars around and I did get spun around and, you know, and, and it was so intense, but, you know, luckily it was actually a Silverstone, which is, you know, very wide and lots of runoff. So it's not so bad if you actually get tapped a little. And, um, but, um, but yeah, that was definitely, you know, I'm thinking, my goodness, this is crazy. But then I came away thinking, I love it. It was just like, I have to do this. This is like, felt like the whole atmosphere around British ET and all the fans as well. It was just, yeah, the whole thing about it, I loved it so much. And, um, and then, you know, Donington and Spa, I got to say went re- really well. Actually I qualified really well at Donington, if I remember rightly, and I've raced really well at Spa. Uh, it's just, 
yeah so yeah. so we you know if, but it's not if they did feel it we were a little bit like unsure because amam is sort of difficult in british gt obviously it's not usually not a lot of people you know a lot of cars in that that class and things and uh you struggle sort of at the back in a, in a way but we we did it because we wanted to get the experience and see what it was like and mm-hmm. and um you know with the plan you know to to do this in the future you know with with a pro driver so so no it was great i really i mean really loved all of it and that you know that's why i'm in british gt this year because i love those three rounds so much so of course now we are finally into racing in the 2020 season yep um and we come to present time and last weekend you know you had a pole a race win and a round that didn't quite go to plan <laughs> um so tell us a bit about your experience of the weekend and you mentioned kind of Alton Park being intimidating so tell us about that as well yeah I mean I, I think um I have raced at Alton Park before in in my Lotus Elan in the rain and there was one of the most scary things I've ever done in my life and I, I wouldn't fancy it <laughs> yeah and um it's it's sort of uh, so, but I've never really driven a GT car or any other car uh, at Alton Park other than my historic. So, actually, when I went testing, when we were allowed to go testing as as things opened back up again, uh, we went testing there, and and I uh, I literally put it in the gravel at Cascades on my first you know run out, I think, and uh, I thought, okay, this is interesting. Um, and um, and then we went one more time. So we went about four weeks ago, I think, five weeks ago, and uh, had an absolutely awesome test day, and I loved it then. I thought, like, well, yeah, I love this circuit, and I do love it. It's just, it just feel like sometimes it wants to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little mini Nord Slifer, isn't it? I know. It's, it's just like it's the sort of slight off-camber here and there, and, you know, if you hit the bump slightly wrong and things like that. So, um, but, and it is so narrow and, and, you know, as I said, if you, if you do get slightly bumped, you don't have, you don't have to have a lot of contact and, and you're, you're in a barrier somewhere and, um, and having had the luxury, as you know, uh, having raced at some amazing GP circuits around the world, uh, in the past and I've driven, many more also big gp circuits and you got very spoilt with all the um you know wide circuits runoffs and you know all these sort of things and then you come to these circuits and you go wow you know this is quite narrow so um but it's i mean i love it's like one of those things where you sort of i love it but i really respect it as well it's very mm. you know it's it is a circuit that will bite back if if you don't treat it with respect so uh so yeah, so I do treat it with respect as much as I can. Your weekend, obviously, we had the first race. Yeah. Um, practice looked really good or sounded really good because obviously we couldn't watch that. But I was watching the timing screens and doing some Twittering and and stuff and kind of watching things go through. And it's like, okay, this is going to be really interesting. And one of the things that was really interesting to note was the prevalence of the McLarens. Mm certainly at points and there was a marked difference between who was in the car as well as to how it seemed to be performing so it was definitely going to set up to be a really interesting uh day of of racing so yeah the first race talk us through it from your point of view yeah so the first race um obviously with the 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 season having changed a lot and there now not being many pro-ams in the in the championship. Uh, it's has changed the dynamic for us uh, quite a lot. So uh, obviously, I, I I was up against you know mainly silver uh, or young pro drivers um, in uh, in my stint in qualifying. Um, you know, set decent sort of time uh, and qualified, um, but. Um, obviously in the, in the, in the race, I had, um, good start, actually a really good start, uh, had a little bit of contact, uh, into turn one, uh, which flicked my wing, my rear wing mirror, which was a bit of a problem later on in the race. Once the GT3 car started coming through, um, but the car felt fine. Uh, there was no real issue with the car. 
So, you know, we carried on and, you know, race pace was good to start with, but then I kind of found myself a little bit like driving on my own because obviously the silver drivers are pulled away a bit and there's another am kind of behind me. And, but, you know, it didn't feel like, you know, there's not a lot that's kind of pushing you. Mm. So uh, it's harder to kind of motivate yourself when you're, you know, driving, just setting lap times basically. So my engineer was very good actually trying to, uh, to motivate me to do that. And then obviously the GT3 car started coming through, uh, which was a little bit, I lost a bit more time because I was slightly harder to see them uh, and where they were uh, without the wing mirror. Um, but um, handed over to, to Ewan and in the pit stop, um, we did have a issue where I thought I'd switched the car off as I got out and apparently I hadn't. So we ended up getting obviously a penalty, uh, which after Ewan had gone out, uh, he had to come in and do a stop, go 10 second mm -hmm. stop and go penalty, um, because the car was still running for about another three seconds. Um, which is fine. I fully accept that. That was actually, that was my mistake. And, uh, and then on his outlap, Ewan got, um, a little tap, little love tap, um, and, uh, at Druids and ended up doing a bit of drifting towards the tie wall. Um, uh, but then he put in a really good stint with, you know, with what we got, you know, what we had basically in, on the car. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I think at the end of that race, we were sort of really pleased we'd done it and we'd finished and we were, you know, all in one piece and, and we still came out pro-am winners. So we were, you know, really excited for yeah. that and we want to celebrate the fact that you know unfortunately there are not many competitors for us this year but it's still the bedrock of uh, British GT is pro-am so you know we're going to celebrate that that's what we do and uh yeah so that that was the end of our race and we were yeah really excited the team performed really well and we felt like okay we made a few mistakes we had a few incidents but you know on you know on to race two basically yeah, and the second race couldn't have been more different. Um, no, exactly. On there. Um, it was it was brilliant to kind of watch and and kind of see whizzing through. So so how different was that for you? Kind of going from you know a couple a couple of hiccups and a bit of frustration, I'd imagine, into into kind of taking the win. Yeah, I guess we were. Um... You know, obviously, you and had uh, put in a, a really good qualifying, so we knew we had a, a better chance in 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 race two um, anyway. And with a slightly shorter pit stop for us, uh, and if he had a good run, uh, it'd be a run to the line for me, trying to hold off those silver drivers coming up from behind. Mm. Um, so, you know, our plan was, well, throughout the weekend, our plan was just to you know, make sure we stayed safe and, you know, bagged as many points as possible and all these things you think, you know, you're going to be sensible, you're going to be doing, doing these things. But when you're racing, you, you know, we all want to win. Uh, it's why we do it. So, uh, so we were looking at all the timing and we were looking at everything and we had this grand plan. So I was going to get new tires on, uh, only 20 minutes to go and at least a 14 second, hopefully, um, oh. lead, uh, as I set off, uh, you know, hoping to hold them off till the end. And, uh, just as we were about to, to swap and, and do our pit stop, um, obviously the crash happened. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of right in that sort of time, but we still did everything we had planned to do. So we stuck new tires on the car so that I would be ready. Obviously when this safety car was back in, you know, I'd be able to push on, on new tires and, you know, hopefully still maintain a bit of, bit of a gap. Mm. Uh, but once we'd had, you know, obviously a lap or two, the safety car, my advantage, which I think was something like 15 and a half or 16 and a half seconds was totally wiped out. Yeah. So I kind of knew, you know, they're all going to make a run, uh, run from behind. Uh, so it was going to be like an elbows out kind of, um, race to the line. And, um, we were ready. We were just, Every time I came around, I'm thinking, okay, is it going to go green? Is it going to go green? Is it going to go green? Uh, but then as I watched the recovery truck arrive at the McLaren GT3 car that was parked around the bowl, um, 
and then actually move out of the way and not pick the car up, I thought that's probably not going to happen. You know, probably not going to start it because that was just too dangerous a place mm. to leave a car. So, uh, so we won it, you know, I like to think that we would have won it anyway. Um, so, uh, um, but yeah, we'll definitely take the win because, you know, there are days when the luck doesn't go your way and, and with the safety car coming out, we'd lost all our advantage already. So, um, so yeah, being an amp on a, on a grid full of silver drivers is, uh, you know, is quite intimidating when they're all coming up from behind. <laughs> so obviously we've got the rest of the season to look forward to, mm-hmm. um, but thinking a bit ahead about to the future then. Where are you headed and where are you likely to be racing in 2025? Oh, that's a long time. Um, (laughs) The rate that it's going at the moment, it's not. (laughs) I know. Uh, Well, I... I, Yeah, probably still in British GT 2020, the way things are going. (laughs) Well, I still, you know, I really, you know, want to always keep pushing uh, what I do and, um, and, you know, move forward and sort of feel... Um, like I'm sort of challenging myself and making sure, you know, I do, yeah, that I, I sort of feel like I'm, I'm really learning something new all the time. And, and I don't have a plan. I don't, I don't have a plan that says, you know, in five years, I'm going to do that uh, probably because it's like more like, I don't think any racing driver can have that because I still rely on partners and sponsors yes. to be able to go racing. So, so my plan is still to just have, as good a season as I can. And hopefully if we have a really good season, I can convince my partners that definitely the right car for me next year is a GT3 car. And, uh, and that, you know, that's my goal having, this is my third season in GC4. Um, I tested a GT3 car a few weeks ago and, and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm ready. Um, and I actually didn't want to drive it too much because I was just like, I think I can get used to this, all this downforce <laughs> and everything. And I thought like, you know, just focus on the job, you know, that what we're doing and everything And that. And the GT4 is a, it's an amazing car. It's so lovely. But then you gain this more powerful, more downforce and somehow easier to drive because uh, the, the GT4 is more of a momentum car. So you, if you make a small mistake, it really punishes you because it doesn't have so much power and uh, so you can't like make it up for it. Um, whilst in a in a GT3 car, you could hustle it a little bit more and um, yeah, it's it's a different, yeah, very different sort of thing. So I, I kind of don't actually want to drive a GT3 car too much this year yeah. whilst I'm still racing GT4 because I just think it will mess with my head <laughs> too much. I just want to drive this because I'm so in tune with this car now and I, Mm-hmm. you know, I'm very used to this car and, you know, I feel very comfortable with how it behaves. So I feel very, because racing is so much about confidence and I'm really confident in this car. I, it never feels too fast or it never, you know, it just feels right. And yeah, you know, and, and when I look at data with, with you and, and things, it's like half a 10th in this corner or a 10th in that corner. It isn't sort of like big things where I, you know, make big mistakes. So, and they're the sort of little things that obviously having started racing, you know, very late in life compared to mm. him, you know, it would be strange if I could, you know, if I could do those sort of things, it's like when he says, uh, just lift 10% less. And I'm thinking, how much is that? It's sort of, mm. yeah, it's hard to explain because I obviously have some kind of talent and you build on your talent, but then that that day when you kind of run out of talent and you have to rely on experience, obviously I don't have all that experience yet. So yeah, that's when you sort of, Oh, you just go half a meter further into this corner. And I'm thinking, Hmm, okay. Half a meter. And then, you know, but in your brain as you're driving, it's yeah, it's that's, I guess that's the difference between being a pro and an am and, and uh, I can live with that. I think it's going to be really exciting to see where you go when you've when you've got that experience under your belt yeah. um, because you know it is forward and faster <laughs> absolutely yeah I, that's definitely my motto has always been in life yeah the faster the better and um everybody laughs at me when 
when I say, because actually, actually my GT4 race car is probably my least powerful car that I have. <laughs> and uh, it seems strange, you know, and I, I think, yeah, just got very used to driving cars with, with uh, you know, a lot of power and things. And my husband is completely the opposite. He loves cars that are lightweight. And, and that is the McLaren technically. It's a very light car compared to many GT cars. It's um, and the power to weight ratio we have in GT4 as well is that's why we get slightly more penalized on BOP and things because the car is so light. Um, and uh, yeah, I just yeah quite quite like power. <laughs> so seven twenty seven twenty S is the next goal then. Well, yeah, I don't, it has to be. It has to be. And I, I said I I jumped in one. Uh, Thanks to to another team, actually, just where you know the McLaren family is a it's a great place to be, to be honest. Um, um, yeah, I did a, a, I think I did eight or nine laps at Silverstone a couple of weeks back, um, and um, you know, was still able to set sort of proper race pace laps, having never really. I mean, I've done three laps two years ago in in the GT3 development car, uh, but otherwise, I've never driven a GT3 car. I haven't been to Silverstone since last year, and. Uh, and I could still jump into one. Mm. Having said that, I did stall it three times because I wasn't so used to the clutch. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, it was slightly embarrassing. Uh, felt a bit like an amateur <laughs> that I am. But um, I was, yeah, just I, I felt like I could really get, yeah, I could really get used to this. And I, I kind of felt like don't get too used to it just yet. You know, wait until next year. So, but that is the plan. So my plan is still this year. The end of this season, I am selling my GT4 car, and come what may, I'm I will be in a GT3 car next year. We are going to move on now to the quickfire questions. <laughs> so first up, we would love to know, Mia, your best and worst cars that you've driven. They can be road cars or race cars, and why? Oh wow, that's a tricky one. I mean, I got to say, having loved that 720 GT3 car I drove a couple of weeks ago. I got to go with that one because that's still my dream car and I'm hoping to be in it, you know, next year. So that's got to be the best one. Uh, worst one is a bit tricky because I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think it's like uh, we have these discussions, my husband and I, where he loves um, uh, 50s and 60s sports cars and, uh, and race cars and he races them and everything. And he just bought this car that had... It's a race car, 1955, I think, race car, and it's got 75 horsepower. And I'm thinking, there is nothing about that car I want to race. <laughs> it's like 75 horsepower. And uh, and he said, you're, you're just like, you know, power mad. And, um, and yeah, so to me, I just I just prefer cars with, uh, um, with a little bit more power and a little bit more downforce, I've got to say. So you've got you've got five hundred more horsepower than his car. I know. Your race, I know. Your race car. I know. <laughs> I know, and I like it. <laughs> My word, that's that's like a whole extra Ferrari under the bonnet. <laughs> I know. It's it's frightening, isn't it? I'm like, and and he's gonna. He's now just. Uh, they've done some work on it. So it's now got ninety, and I'm like, oh, it's a rocket ship, is And he's like, yeah. But he loves it because he loves, you know, he loves the car. I think I'm, we have this discussion sometimes where um, I think there were some of the, 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 the 60, 70 races, you know, the races, the race in the 60s and 70s always used to say things like there are people that are drivers and then there are races. And the drivers are people who really like their cars and are more interested almost in the car being right and, uh, you know, period correct and uh, as it should have been in period and, you know, all those sort of things, then the actual racing, it doesn't mm. matter. So well, whilst I'm more like the, the, the car for me is like a tool to go racing. Uh, so um, it's not so much about like, I love this particular car or I love, you know, I wanted to do, the right job for me so that I can go racing because it's the actual experience of motor racing that excites me. So next up then, you've driven a number of circuits so far. 
What's the best? What's the worst? And why? Uh, I got it. The best circuit for me is uh, spa. Uh, I love fast flowing uh, sort of circuits. Um, and I've won at spa four times. Uh, I've had some of my best memories motor racing at spa. And uh, and I've you know raced at spa both in, in this McLaren GT4 and I've raced my uh, Elan, 1963 Elan there. And every time I've loved it. So I got to say Spa, definitely, without a doubt. Um, my worst circuit, probably my worst circuit, um, I think the circuit I like the least, and for a very particular reason, <laughs> is Valencia. Um, so we raced in Valencia, and I don't know what it was, the fact that it's anti-clockwise or whatever, but I felt really motion sick actually driving it myself. Um so, and it, it was really weird because it just keeps turning in one, you know, in the same direction the whole time. And it, it doesn't really have any straights. It's just like corner after corner, after corner, after corner, after corner, after corner. So I got to say, that's probably my, probably my least favorite circuit. That's uh, Ricardo Tormo, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Valencia. Yeah. It's it's just a strange, Yeah. Strange, strange circuits to, to drive on. And I have some other yeah. circuits as well that are not my favorites. Uh, i got to say, like, uh, every you know, lots of people love Paul Ricard. And uh, I don't want to say anything bad about Paul Ricard. It's just a beautiful circuit. But because of the runoffs being so great, it's sort of, there's no, no penalty at all if you go off. And somehow having barriers and gravel and things kind of focuses your mind on what you're doing. So actually, I quite like, I prefer circuits that have, you know, not that it punishes you, but it, yeah, it makes... A little bit of fear. Yeah, well, it, it sort of makes you, yeah, you should respect it, you know, and not just, it shouldn't just be easy to drive off the track, you know, because I think it should be like, okay, it's a bit like when you watch Formula One and you see them go around Monaco, because it's not the best track in the world, but the fact that they drive within those barriers is you know, kind of the thing. So, yeah. But to, um, to, to, to put it in a, uh, in a way appropriate to the theme of the show, it definitely separates the women from the girls. Yes, it does. Absolutely. That's true. So next up is your three car garage. So this consists of your dream road car, your dream race car and your dream play car. Yeah. So this is, this is so, so actually, um, again, it's going to be quite sort of focused on, obviously. So my dream race car is a 720S GT3 car. Uh, cause I keep telling everybody this year that, so that they know that next year, obviously that's it. So it's all clear. <laughs> and, um, my dream play car is, uh, the new McLaren 765LT. Uh, we actually had one at home for a weekend, a couple of weeks back and uh, and I can't wait for ours to arrive it's uh, unbelievable and that's a car is, is 700 720 horsepower not enough for you then no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no I mean the 720s is a absolutely awesome car and you know I've seen so many people buy one and then take it on track and then come back and go like wow this is too fast um but it's, yeah, the 765 LT is just, um, the, it's the same with all the LTs, to be honest with you. 675 LT is exactly the same. It's probably the car we do own, the 675 LT, and we'll, it's the last car we'll ever sell. And uh, it just has something about it because it's so focused and so direct. The steering is so direct. It's halfway between a road car and a, and a well, it's basically a track car for the road, but it's it just... Yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but it's 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 not actually so much about the power. It's actually how it uses the power and how it puts it down on the road. And um, yeah, absolutely awesome cars. I can't wait for mine to arrive. <laughs> and as a as a road car, actually, this is going to come sort of a little bit strange because I I love the car I drive and I've this is the fourth one I've got and I drive a Range Rover Sport SVR 
and uh, and I love it. And people try and convince me about all sorts of other things. Uh, um, but yeah, so uh, so I feel like I already own uh, the perfect road car for me. That's fair enough. <laughs> it is very hard to argue against a Range Rover. Yeah, and it, I mean, I know the SVR, it's a little bit sort of crazy and, you know, I, I think it's just, I just like it. It's sort of, uh, and I often, I'm I'm in it on my own or with my dog and uh, it's just, yeah, it just suits me, you know. It's like when you feel like home, it's like home in that car. So the last question that we have for you today, Mia. <laughs> I hope you've had your your hat on thinking about this one <laughs> yeah you've been you've been given an elephant you can't give it away and you can't sell it yeah so what do you do with the elephant so i've been thinking about this a lot because i don't want any sort of animal activists to come back at me and things like that um it's all right they're after rick perfect <laughs> <laughs> But um, because actually I do love animals. And my first initial thought was like, oh, actually, because we got, you know, quite a big garden, a big field at the back of the house. I'm thinking, you know, it would live quite happily in the Cotswolds, I'm sure. Um, But then um, I thought about this thing. And actually my husband has a sketch of it in in his office. So when the the McLaren Senna uh, was developed, they were trying to explain to people what, the 800 kilos of downforce that the Senna has, what that was. And he did this uh, drawing, basically, and, the, and that sketch is, as I said, in Mike's office. And um, and it's basically a small elephant sitting on the top of the roof of the car um, to, yeah, to demonstrate how downforce works. And obviously, you don't want an extra 800 kilos sitting on, on your car because it makes it a very heavy car, but as a tool for downforce it works very well but you know so if i said on here now that if i wanted to sit 800 kilo elephant on the top of my gt4 car to give me a bit more downforce <laughs> i would probably get every animal activist coming after me so uh but uh but yeah you get the idea anyway and people worry about 25 kilos of ballast in, uh, <laughs> in silver silver no, I mean, you know, it's it's all coming down. To, it's like power to grip ratio, you know. It's not like, you know, power to weight ratio is one thing, power to grip. So if you can actually put it down, you know, then it's all right. I just need a little bit more horsepower as well maybe. But, uh, uh, but yeah. Well, you did say the balance of performance is based on power to weight. So if your car weighs an elephant more, surely you should get an elephant more power. There you go. There you go. So, you know, it just gives you more downforce. So... Uh, I quite like it because um, that's one of the things with the uh, <laughs> racing in, in British GT as well. You notice mm. is that obviously a GT4 car doesn't behave like a GT3 car because it doesn't have the downforce around corners. Mm. If you have a, a GT4 and a GT3 car together in a corner, that's when you often have incidents because the GT4 car moves and the GT3 car stays quite planted. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it made me think of that anyway, that, particular sketch that he has in his no. office with his elephant sitting on the roof um but yeah i think most likely the only thing i could think of otherwise is you know live a happy life in the cotswolds i'm, I'm thinking about this this downforce solution of course we do need to look after the animal here the animal's welfare can we get an, an elephant sized race suit and helmet yes exactly you know this is eventually gonna end in an elephant sized car right yeah I know that is the problem. But we're talking about quite a small elephant because this question does not say how big this elephant is. So it can actually be a fairly small one, you know? Uh, yeah, baby so elephant. A little, baby elephant. Yeah, pig, pygmy elephant. Well, a baby elephant to do. Mm. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, it, it's, um, it, it was a good analogy anyway on, of how mm. to describe to people who don't understand what downforce means or how much. 800 yeah. kilos of downforce in the Senna means and um, that is quite a lot of downforce yeah because the car can't weigh much more than a tonne can it no no it weighs I think 1100 I think something like that so you're two, you're two, two of me short of being able to drive it upside down <laughs> well yeah well you know <laughs> no, nobody's tried yet but who knows <laughs> my word 
Yeah. No, it's, a, it's an awesome it's, car, it's, actually. The Senna and I was actually at Goodwood uh, a couple of weeks ago in a 620R, uh, McLaren 620R, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Kenny Breck was there driving a Senna GTR road car, road mm-hmm. conversion. And my goodness me. Uh, yeah. And, and Goodwood is another circuit actually here in the UK that feels like it wants to kill you slightly. Um, and so it was I've never, cool. I've never been to Goodwood yet. It's, okay. it's, it's one of my bucket list places. I've got, I've got to get down there. I've, yeah. I've hoped to get down there for the revival. Yeah. A revival is an awesome event. I mean, I think, um, yeah, just driving that 620R, I was doing 165 miles an hour down Lavant Strait and, this is like a very old-fashioned, quite quite narrow circuit, you know, and you're thinking, this is just madness, you know. And I think because I drive this GT4 car so much and I don't drive road cars on track so often, but when I get in the road car, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, wow, this thing is fast, you know, and properly fast. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, but then you've got to remember when you get to the end of the straight that you've not got slicks on. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah, it doesn't have the same brakes. <laughs> like but, uh, but, yeah. All right. It's been, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Mia. Thank you so much for your, for your time this evening. Oh, thank um, you. That's good fun. It, it's, it's just been brilliant, brilliant, brilliant fun, hasn't it, Zara? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, I really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed our guest special interview with Mia. We actually have more from this conversation lined up in future, where we'll be tackling a diversity special. But for now... Don't forget to check out our regular episode where we review the races at Alton Park, take a look ahead to Donington Park and speak to Team Tegawa. Available now from your usual podcast provider or of course through our social media and our website. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fans Show. Remember the show's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. The British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen creative and RPS-driven media production. To find out more, visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk